I'm uh, I'm Mike Duran. I'm a senior fellow here at uh, at Hudson, and uh, it's my distinct honor uh, to welcome Dr. Kamal Labwani um, and Ruel Garect. Dr. Labwani is one of the most uh, courageous individuals that I've ever met. He's a true hero. I say that without the slightest bit of uh, um, of irony. In a moment, I'm going to turn to him and, uh, and ask him to tell his story. Uh, I'll just be very brief here and say that, uh, that he's a, a courageous Syrian dissident. Um, he spent nine years, is it nine years? Thirteen. Thirteen years? In, in, prison? in, in ten prison? Ten years. Ten years, ten years in prison in, uh, in Syria in the worst conditions. Uh, I first met him in uh, 2005 uh, when I was working in the White House of George W. Bush, and um, he came in to the White House to, to talk to senior officials. Um, and he came out of the White House and made uh, a number of statements that, uh, uh, that did not uh, find favor with the Assad regime. And then he, they put out a warrant for his arrest, and he still went back to, uh, to Syria. Uh, and um, I won't say anything more. I'll let him tell us uh, in, in a moment. But really, Dr. Labwani, you are um, uh, really a hero of mine, and it's a great honor to have you here today. And then next to Dr. Labwani, we have uh, Ruel Garect, senior fellow um, uh, at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and one of the leading experts on um, Iran here. Um, and so we're going to today we're going to talk about, um, in general, the the situation uh, with Iran today and uh, its uh, implications for Syria. Uh, but before we do that, I want to turn the floor over to Dr. Labwani. And if you could just, uh, for those of us who are not familiar with your with your story, if you could just tell us your story, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much, and thank you all to invite me here. And I am really debt for you because you helped me a lot at 2005, and still helped me when I was in, in prison. Maybe my life became safe because you insist on put pressure on the Bashar Assad to don't kill me, so I am really dipped for you. I have to go, it's very nice of you to say that, it's very nice of you to say that, but all, all the credit goes to you and all the credit to uh, President uh, uh, George W. Bush, who who cared deeply about dissonance and cared about your mm. your situation, and if it wasn't for that, then, then we wouldn't have been able to make any statements. So. So, I still think I have friends here. I am still think I have friends in, in the United States. We need the United States to involve in the matter of Middle, of Middle East because Middle East is very important in the world. So I still in prison for six years and the revolution became out and uh, the pressure more and more from the people of Syria. So they released me. When they released me, I returned to start with uh, uh, co co cooperation with the United States government, but I, unfortunately, I think that department is not very want to find solution in Syria. It is not matter for them to find solution in Syria. So the relation, you know, start to be not good. But now we have a chance. We have a chance because what happened. When I was here, I, I warned about civil war in Syria, and nobody listened because nobody expected uh, civil war in Syria. 
Okay, civil war, Syria. And now we face not civil war in Syria, civil war in Middle East. <laughs> so the, 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 the problem is not understanding. They don't listen to the people. They don't listen. They listen to, to themselves. They use the, the uh, 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 wrong conceptions and deceive themselves. So we, we cannot find solution. If we still think in this box, we cannot find any solution. We have to change the box. I am here now to open this box, to open this box of thinking, and to find solution, and easy solution. Don't need a very large or very big uh, inter in intervention just to understand and use the tools which is, exist, exist till now. Syrian people is the only, is the only one can help in the land of Syria to dismiss Iran, to dismiss the terrorists. But the Syrian people now were, because Bashar Assad makes strategy of parallel, you know. The parallel destroys the society, destroy everything, and dismiss everybody. We have then society, that's that. What we have now, we have gangs, we have uh, groups, but we don't have society. We, we, everybody say, where is the Syrian people? Where is the opposition? No, they are in, in refugee. Nobody, nobody need us to organize ourselves. Nobody need us to unite ourselves. Till now, I try several times to come to United States. Till now, I have this. So if you don't invite the people, you don't want them to gather, we cannot find. I can bring a lot of, of officials, a lot of uh, leaders to come here or to come to any, and you can help them to reorganize them, uh, themselves politically and uh, military, and you, ha you have friends on the land. I go to Israel and negotiate with the Israel, with the Israeli government, uh, ex-defense minister and the new defense minister. I, I visit Israel four times and start understanding, start understanding, but Israel alone cannot. We need United States to govern because the Gulf state must be involved. The most problem thing now, which we face, is Iran by its coalition with Turkey. It's very, very, very dangerous because this kind of, of unity between Shia extremists and Sunni extremists very, very dangerous. And a lot of Sunni now became allies to, 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 to Iran. So Syria is very critical, very critical issue now to, to speak about. And we will return, I think. So myself, myself, come here, just need somebody to listen. I need to correct the wrong conceptions which we used. When we used Bashar Assad became polite, he will uh, dismiss Iran. That's mad conception. Why? Because Bashar Assad cannot do that. And if he do that, he will make Iran uh, allies to the opposition. I mean, Iran have the land of, of, of uh, al-Assad. And the Islamist opposition have the other land. They will be united against Assad and dismiss Assad and dismiss Russia also. Because we, we create the danger. We threaten the Israeli security by do nothing, by say we will not intervene. This policy is very, very bad. 
policy depend on Geneva, policy depend on Russia, policy depend on do nothing, do nothing, that means destroy all the area. And the loss of Middle East will change the balance between East and West, between China and United States, and who wins the Middle East, who wins the, the, the battle. That is, uh, I am here, I am really thankful. Okay, uh, thank you. Before I, before I turn it to Ruel, though, can, can I, I just wanted to, the audience to get a little sense of your personal story. Personal. Your personal story, yes. Yeah. You're so you're, uh, you're, you're, you started doctor. as a medical doctor, uh, right? Okay, I am doctor from Zabadani near to Damascus. My family, ancient family, come from uh, Spain to <laughs> to Middle East. That's uh, two, four, four centuries before. We are Arab, Sunni. Uh, stay in Zabadani, and uh, this is my my studying is a medical doctor. I uh, experienced uh, 20 years. I involved in uh, opposition since 1976. Since, since 1976. In, in my university, and after that, I served military uh, service in Hama, which uh, faced massacre. I know what kind of this regime. So this is when when Assad the father destroyed destroy Hama 1982, and still you were working there as a medical doctor, medical doctor in the trying to save the people who were being massacred. I cannot do anything because I was I was in military service. I was in military service, obliged. To, you know, you have to serve two years in military service. I was a doctor here there, so that time that time was I see what happened now in Syria. Mm. What happened in Hama is an example. Now happened in all Syria. So I know exactly what, which kind of this regime, which kind of this, what, what, what they are dealing with, with, with the people. They killed about 40,000 people in one month. So I still thinking what we face. We face Muslim Brotherhood, the fanatic, and we face the dictator, and study the religious, ideas and the dictatorship. So 20 years I am studying in my clinic in Zabadani and prepare myself till the Damascus Spring. Damascus Spring 2001. 2000 when Hafez died and his son come to power. We are republic and they make it kingdom. So <laughs> we find a chance to, to move. We go and make forums, forums and they try to, the, the same example of East Europe, because we are Stalin-style uh, regime. So this way, we try to, to create a movement, democratic movement. Uh, but the regime put us in solitary for three years for, for me, from 2001 to 2004 in solitary. And after that, release me when, when uh, the regime released me. Uh, Mr. Uh, the ambassador of the United States, Margaret Scobie, invited me to her home officially and start a relation with, with, with her. She was a very, very nice woman and very active, and she invited me officially to, to, uh, to Washington 2005 after the assassination of Hariri. And that time, they, they are discussing the matter of Syria, and I am coming from Syria. So I find who listen, I find who understand, 
I find him who want to work and you you wear that tie. I hope the same, the same spirits find it now, because I think uh, the President uh, Trump, he has dream also about solution in Middle East, and we have, we, this, is, this is dream, our future. So we need peace and stability in Middle East, and we are ready now to work for this, but we need to find a team who listen, who understand, who negotiate. Well, I am ready to, to do that by Syrian people, with Arab also people, and I am friend to Israel publicly. I don't go inside, and I am friend to. So I can rule this, uh, blaze this, uh, this rule if you, if you uh, want. <laughs> let, let me, we'll, we'll get back to the yeah. politics and all this yeah. and the policy in a minute. But I, I just want to ask you one question. Um, when, when you left the White House in 2005, and you decided to go back to Syria knowing that you were going to be put in jail. Why did you do that? So if I don't be uh, able to pay my effort, I cannot ask the others help the Syrian. I have to work first and ask my friends. If I don't work, if I don't uh, take the, 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 the danger, if I don't work, the people of Syria will not be brave to challenge this, this regime. If I stay back and uh, go to street, no, I have to go first of them. Oh. Before them, I have to face the regime, and I face the regime by my body. Well, uh, <laughs> you're a braver man than I. I would have, uh, you know, gone to Miami. <laughs> but uh, 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 really, uh, it's a great honor to have you here. Uh, Ruel, um, could you set the scene for us? What's going on? What's your sense of what's, what's happening in Iran today? What are the big decisions we face? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that up until the eruptions that started in late December, that the Islamic Republic was looking at a fairly peachy situation uh, in the region, that uh, they, they were more or less the dominant power in the northern Middle East. Uh, I think if you look at Syria that the dreams of the late revolutionary Guard Corps commander, General Hamadani, who birthed the militia system uh, in Syria, uh, had borne fruit, that uh, the situation in Syria had stabilized uh, sufficiently for the Iranians. I'm not sure the Iranians ever wanted to stabilize that much, but it had proved successful with relatively small contributions from the Guard Corps. Uh, people uh, tend to think that the Guard Corps contribution in Syria has been massive. I think in manpower, it really hasn't. They've rotated in forces. I think the demands have at times uh, been uh, a little challenging, but nothing that the Guard Corps couldn't handle. Uh, also, I think uh, there was a desire on the part of younger members of the Guard Corps to sort of prove their mettle the way their fathers had proved theirs in the Iran-Iraq War. So I think the hopes and aspirations that some folks had in the West, that the Iranians would bite off more than they could chew, and that casualties would mount, and they would uh, affect the Guard Corps' performance, I think was mirror imaging and wishful thinking. Uh, 
Now, whether the eruption in Iran has changed those calculations, my best bet is no, they have not. If anything, they will incline the regime to double down abroad, not to retreat. There could be some American actions that would make them rethink that calculation. I think that's unlikely. I have not yet seen any effort on the part of the Trump administration to make me believe that it wants to intercede in a forceful way on the ground in Syria or in Iraq. I think the status quo in Iraq is one that the Pentagon is comfortable with, and they don't really want to go into the fearful situation of U.S. forces having to deal with possible attacks upon them led by the Iranians once again. So I don't see the Americans actually causing that much pressure upon the Iranians in their overseas adventures. I don't think it's within the capacity of the Sunni Arab states to do much either. I think last January, I think there was some hope that you could have some type of an effective Sunni Arab alliance that somehow would bring pressure on the Iranians. I think that's proven to be false. I don't think you have any Sunni Arab state that has any expeditionary capacity that can really hurt the Iranians. They have any desire. If anything, General President Sisi has shown that he's quite capable of sending a token force on Assad's side. So that situation I don't think looks very hopeful. And again, I have to suspect that the Iranians will more or less maintain the status quo if they need more manpower. Their first choice will again to be deploy these Shiite militias that they have trained that are literally from all over the map in the greater Middle East. They are increasingly seasoned soldiers. If they can't handle the situation, then the regime will pull in the Guard Corps. Most of the Guard Corps, by the way, is not trained and they don't use them for riot control anyway. And I would emphasize inside of Iran, if you look at what happened in 2009-2010, it's by no means clear that the Supreme Leader is confident in the performance of the Guard Corps broadly. That there was a game of musical chairs that occurred in 2009-2010. I think the best bet on why that musical chairs occurred was because the Supreme Leader did not believe Guard Corps commanders uniformly showed sufficient vigor in their desire to put down the pro-democracy green movement. Pardon me, when you say musical chairs, you mean that he had a few units that he had great confidence in and he used those? The Basij was the primary forces used. All the Basij is commanded by Guard Corps. But there were some deployments of the Guard Corps in the 2009-2010 and commanders were removed from their positions. And again, it's hard to tell. There are lots of various reports, even some statements from Guard Corps officers themselves that strongly suggest 
that uh, they, the elements in the Guard Corps were uncomfortable with crushing uh, the, the Green Movement. Uh, however, in the end, they, you know, they, they did handle it, and particularly uh, members of the Basij, which is you know this mobilization force uh, that uh, of, of young men who use clubs, motorcycles, etc. Uh, they proved uh, effective uh, in putting down uh, the 2009 pro-democracy movement. This, I would argue, the demonstrations today are much more uh, troublesome uh, because they occur over a wider geographic area. The demonstrations in 2000, 2010, by the way, were not just in Tehran. They occurred outside of Tehran, too. It's just the enormity of the Tehran protests gathered everybody's attentions, because they should have, because they were of a similar size to what happened in 1979. Uh, but today you have the, you know, a, a very complex situation where uh, you have people from all social strata, uh, small towns, larger provincial towns, uh, that have combined together to explicitly go after the Islamic Republic. And I think it's always good to remember historically that if you use the revolution as a basis, you know, it took almost a year for demonstrations in Iran in 78, 79 to go explicitly revolutionary. Uh, in 2009, it took approximately a week for demonstrations that initially started off about a fraudulent presidential election to end up explicitly seeking the overthrow of uh, the Veliati Faqih. Uh, of the Supreme Leader Khamenei. Uh, the demonstrations that occurred in late December and are still going on, they started out uh, protesting existentially uh, the Islamic Republic. So the regime knows that this is a volcanic situation. I think that's one reason they've been hesitant to hit it as hard as they could have. They have deployed force. At least 20 people have died. Whenever the official figures are released, you know that the real figures are higher. Uh, but I think there is some concern. And they also got to remember the Basij, uh, the mobilization force, uh, which they have a flying wing. They've had a flying wing of the Basij ever since massive soccer riots in Tehran in 1989. Uh, these units aren't that large. And one thing we saw from 2009 if the regime cannot reliably deploy Basij or Revolutionary Guard units from the same region or towns that they come from, because you cannot reliably deploy uh, young men to beat the relatives. So they have to be able, and they, you know, this is somewhat logistically challenging, they have to be able to deploy forces from different areas uh, to ensure uh, their their loyalty in the past, uh, the ones I've liked best are where they, you know, deploy Azeris to beat on the Persians, and you know that's actually gives some Azeris some fun. Uh, there's 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 a limit to how that how how that can work. I should uh, I should point out that uh, Ruel is uh, probably unique uh, among. Uh, um, analysts of our generation, and that he's actually spent a lot of time in, in Iran. He was a, um, in, in the CIA and the Directorate of Operations for, is it 11 years or was it nine? Ten, Ten years. Shouldn't that hold that against me? And then, and then after, um, you'll correct me also if I'm wrong, after, <clears throat> after he left uh, his service, he went and uh, 
and uh, hitchhiked across uh, Iran under an assumed identity. Is that? I wouldn't say I was hitchhiking. I was in a truck. But you were, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, he's almost uh, as fearless as Dr. Lamwani. Far from it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's not not something I would have done. I just have to say. Uh, but uh, but Ruel actually has a sense of the place that I think a lot of our analysts uh, don't, uh, just because of the, the the whole history of the relationship. So, um, Dr. Lamwani, back to you. Can you? Uh, what's your sense of the? Um, what's your sense of the the situation in Syria now and the? The, the chance of the opposition. I think common wisdom tells us that the war is almost over and the opposition is lost. And I, I take it that you have a, a, a rather different perspective, and I wonder if you could explain to us why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think seven years till now uh, is enough to convince that the people of Syria is destroyed and the cities of Syria is destroyed. This victory of the regime means destruction of Syria. This is not victory. This is destruction. So what remains in Syria now is people under siege, people under pressure, and gangs and accusation. Especially the land now for two parts. One part of the militia of Iran. The regime is very weak now. The people of Syria is very weak. Also, the other side, small, not, not so, like uh, the uh, uh, fanatic Islamists in Idlib or so. The positive land is the Kurds at the north. So, uh, everybody... The, the Kurds, you said. The Kurds, you know, Qasad, you know, that uh, democratic uh, Syria, democratic Syria. This is, example is good. So if we can uh, make the same example in South, we can start to create the new future of Syria. Everybody think. So, pardon me, if I can, just want to make sure that I understand uh, what you're saying. You're saying that there's a, there's a potential for creating in the south of Syria uh, this, the same kind of arrangement that we have with the Syrian democratic okay. forces in Raqqa and so on. Let's go operate with them. Is that the idea? Yeah. And um, who, what, what is the element that is go, that would pull together the the groups in the south into a okay. into into a unity? Okay, uh, this example because United States help in ordination, help in organization, and uh, military, help help them to make their own austerity, own power and help them to return to their homes and cover them from aeroplanes. So it needs the same example. The same example... So you would South. like, a, you would like a, a, a United States supported... Support the same safe example. Zone, safe zone. Safe zone in the south. In the south and east. So south and east. But south uh, near the border to Israel is different than the east because uh, you mean the east out to Derizor? Derizor, okay. So two, two options. Two safe zones. Two safe. One, one, in the, one, one in the Derizor area and one in the okay. south. Why? First, first of all, I have to speak about the border of Israel. Now, at the border of Israel, there is some groups. Uh, some, of them, some of them moderate, some of them fanatic. But the problem that Hezbollah and Iran convinced a lot of Islamic groups to be allies to them. Mm -hmm. Because the uh, support cut from Jordan, cut from everything, and they're seeking for food for this, so he will give him, 
and he try to negotiate, he will use the opposition, mm-hmm. fight opposition near the border to kill the agents to Israel. So the bro- everything in the south, in the border will collapse. How we can face this? We can face this by creating safe zone and make good authority and give them support to secure the, the, the safe zone you, um, you imagine would be, it would encompass all of Dera, would it? Maybe, is if order. How far are you? I think I, we have to start from the border of Israel, 20 kilometer first, first 20, step. 20 kilometers. This is the uh, first uh, step one, step one, and step two to expand it. If Jordan involved, we can make it from the border of Jordan. Now the, fir- the first, when you talk to, uh, when you talk to an American audience about this idea, the first response you're going to get is, are, so are you asking for American military intervention, direct U.S. military intervention? No. 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 Now the, uh, I need, I ask, I go to Israel to uh, 2014 and speak with Mr. Bogi alone. And I say, I, is this a good idea? Who we is can do that. The, the Minister of Defense? Minister of Defense. Uh, he say it is good idea, but I need support from one of major state, United States or Russia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I need permission. Uh, yeah, right. I am going to United States, and he came, ca- come, uh, come here and say no. So you think that if, you, <laughs> so you think that if, if President, it's your, it's your impression, your, uh, your assessment, that if President Trump were to support this idea. He would find a willing partner in the Israelis. Okay. Is that, I, I that, mean, that's, that's your vision? That, is that, that no need to intervention directly, just allowed Israeli and cover it in diplomatic issue. And Israeli ready to do that, to do that. And our people can still now still exist, but after time, I don't know. I cannot say that you have allies on, on, on the land. All the land will be came to Iran. So the uh, um, so let, let me get Ruel in here. Um, Ruel. Yeah, I, I just say, I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret uh, to say that, you know, some military officers who were pivotal in Iraq have also suggested that there's something to do in Syria. And I think it's fair to say that the Trump administration has reviewed plans uh, for months now about how you create and expand safe havens in the south uh, and the north too but I think actually it's more pivotal now in the south uh, so far you've seen no appetite for that on the part of the overall in the Oval Office so uh, until you do uh, I, I don't I, uh, think, I don't think is it's it, go- is it no support in the Oval Office or no support in the Pentagon well, I, mean, I, I think the Pentagon certainly has has uh, little appetite for this. But if the president really wanted it, then the president can force uh, situations. There wasn't really support in the Pentagon for the surge, uh, but uh, there was certainly a constitu a powerful constituency of one in the overall office that that drove it. So um, you know the plans are out there. They're, they're they've been thought through on how to. Uh, develop a more robust uh, safe haven that would eventually put pressure uh, on the regime and the Iranians. But uh, I don't think there's, as I said, there's, I don't think there's any desire of that. And unless 
the Americans are willing to take the lead unless they're willing to provide air support, which means they have to be prepared to outbluff the Russians, uh, then I, I, don't, I don't think this goes anywhere. Uh, and I have to say, I don't think the Israelis are prepared uh, to put uh, much effort into this unless they see a willingness in Washington uh, to contribute forcefully to this endeavor. Uh, I think the Israelis are comfortable with the status quo. I don't know. You know, the, um, my, impression, uh, my impression in talking to the Israelis is that there's a very, uh, there's a growing apprehension about the Revolutionary Guard, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, moving south from the Damascus and, and, uh, and ensconcing themselves on the, on the Golan. Um, and so, so I think they have a modus vivendi worked out. I mean, it, it may prove to be inadequate, but I think they have a modus vivendi worked out with the Russians that uh, the Israelis will kill members of the Revolutionary Guard Corps who stray too far south. The, the question is, at a certain point, and I'll turn back to you in a second, Dr. Labwani, the, I, I, I think that's the dynamic at the moment. But they don't have an actual agreement. My understanding is they don't have an agreement with the Russians. Um, they have a very nuanced policy where they go to Moscow and they keep Putin informed of their red lines and of their major concerns. And they let him know that they are going to take action in support of those red lines. But they, they haven't come to an agreement. They just inform him. They don't surprise him, but they don't ask permission. And then they take, and then they take military action. And that's worked out so far, so far so good, because the, 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 the Iranians and the Russians are busy in the north, and they're busy around Damascus. But if they, if they, uh, if they get a grip on the north and they get a, a grip on Damascus, then they may well start moving south. And it's not clear that the, I mean, the Russians are dependent on the Iranians in, in, in Syria uh, the, for, to provide the ground forces, as you, as you mentioned. So if at a certain point the Iranians, the, the, the last thing the Iranians want is for the world to think that you can deliver Iran through Moscow. And at a certain point, they're going to want to show some independence from the, uh, from, from the Russians. So uh, it remains to be seen. I mean, what, all I'm trying to say is that I think that the situation is um, sufficiently fluid that you might have a change of heart or a, a different assessment on the part of the Israelis, particularly if there was a, a change of uh, thinking about this in the, in the White House. I agree with you. We haven't seen any appetite for that. But a change, you know, uh, the, the events, as we're, as we're seeing in Iran, right, events take place and then people's perceptions change. But let me, let me turn to you, Dr. Lavoie, and and get your sense of your understanding of the relations between Assad, the Iranians, and the Russians, and how that dynamic works. Okay. I hear from Jordanian government and Israeli military, say that Bashar Assad, you have to accept Bashar Assad. Bashar Assad got the first one alternative to make stability. And uh, Bashar Assad became polite because he take a lesson. So this ideas, I hear. I'm sorry, Bashar Assad became polite. Became polite. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So, yeah. so uh, I my my respond what because I think 
if you want, if you want Bashar Assad to dismiss Iran, Russia and Bashar Assad to dismiss Iran, it's okay. okay. If he can, he cannot. <laughs> if he try, if he's uh, sure to do that, he has to use violent issues against Iran. That's what, what, what happened now. Iran don't go out. Iran changed their mind. Because Iran now, Iran, Russia, and the regime, we are here. When Russia and uh, Assad try to dismiss Iran, Iran will become enemy to them. And then we will find Iran with the same front of us, the Sunni uh, opposition. And Iran opposition will be united, not dismissed outside. We will create a new coalition against Israel, against the United States, against Russia, against, and it would be very strong. The same example of Hamas and Hezbollah, it's Muslim Brotherhood, Iran and Turkey. The same example, we will find it on the land. So it is very dangerous strategy, very dangerous strategy, most dangerous than the others. So the only one who can uh, dismiss Iran not the Bashar Assad, not the Russia, the Syrian people. Mm. We have to start from this point. Syrian people and their rights. We have to announce Bashar Assad is a criminal, have to account, and the occupation of Russia, okay, but the Iranian militias is terrorist militias, must we go out, we will help the Syrian people to, the, to build their authority by the international watch, and we will help give them a humanitarian issue. I will prevent any aeroplane to come there. We can create safe zone and non-armed zone. Non-armed zone. Nobody can come to, to, to the border with, with his weapons. It, it, it is it's very important to, to, to do non-armed and safe zone near the border of Israeli and Jordan, and we need it. Do you think the, do you think the, we talked a little bit about the Israelis, what about the Jordanians? Do you think the Jordanians would um, support this as well? Because common wisdom also says about the Jordanians that they're not particularly interested in, a, in building a safe zone. If they are alone, they cannot. Mm. But if they have support from Saudi Arabia and cover from United States and permission from Israelis, they are very, very uh, interested in this. The King Abdullah personally interested in this. And they speak about uh, far defense, far defense about, because Jordania now is threatened by ISIS, threatened by Iranian intervention, threatened by civil war between Palestine and Jordanian. It is very easy to collapse. So they are afraid to do anything, to move without help, to, to avoid the crash and also. And uh, in a moment, I'd like to come back to you and talk to you a little bit about your visits to Israel because I think you're also one of the things that's striking about you is the efforts that you've made to, uh, um, uh, to reach out across the border. That's not something you hear about uh, very often. But let me turn back uh, now just to, to, to Ruel. And, and you gave us, Ruel, a general analysis of what's happening in, in, in Iran and, and, and in Syria. Um, but I wonder if I just put it to you sh uh, starkly and said, what are, we, what are we witnessing in Iran right now? Is this the end of the regime? Is this the beginning of the end of the regime? Is this the end of the beginning of the end of the regime? Where, where are we in your... Yeah. I, or, is I, this, or is this a flash in the pan? Well, no, it's definitely not a flash in the pan. I mean, I think you are witnessing 
the continuing crack up of theocracy uh, inside of the Islamic Republic. Uh, I mean, this has been a long uh, process uh, in the sense that uh, once Khomeini died in 1989, uh, you started to see cracks uh, all through the system. Uh, you started to see theological challenges to the regime. You saw intellectual challenges to the regime. I mean, it's always good to remember that who carried the torch for the revolution in 1978-79? It was the college educated. Uh, the, quote, peasantry, the urban peasants, uh, were considered to be retrograde. Now, it is fairly clear that the uh, denominator for membership or affiliation or sympathy with the pro-democracy movements, green movement, uh, uh, is higher education. Uh, the regime has lost uh, higher education. And this is after innumerable reforms uh, of the university system uh, in the Islamic Republic. At the same time, they're massively expanding uh, the number of students who go to university. So no matter what they do, they're sort of breeding their own antibodies. Uh, and uh, this is a problem they can't handle. This is why they now supposedly you know, see their base in what they call the Mustazafan, uh, the, the weak, the oppressed. Uh, but as demonstrations have revealed uh, recently, uh, that base isn't reliable either. I actually think uh, scholars and lots of journalists have incorrectly assessed the differences of opinion between the Mustazafan and the college educated. I actually think they, are, uh, they have more in common than they have differences uh, towards the regime. So the clergy knows it's in trouble. Uh, seminaries are in a dire shortage of, of men. Uh, to volunteer to become mullahs. Uh, you would think that it would not be the case, uh, that uh, the clergy still remains the route to money and power. Uh, I don't think if you made a Soviet parallel, you would see uh, a decline in the number of young men who wanted to go into the KGB uh, at the end of the Soviet period. I suspect it remains steady. Uh, yet you have a huge drop-off and the number of people who are willing to go into the seminaries. Uh, Shiites have never been as good as Sunnis when it comes to mosque attendance. Uh, and there are very good and understandable historical reasons for that. But still, it is striking uh, that in Iran, according to the Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, you have 57,000 Shiite mosques, and fewer than 3,000 are open. And of those 3,000, uh, most of them, or at least half of those, are only open during the holy months. Uh, that is reflective, I think, of a real truth about the It's Islamic a striking statistic. I've oh, never heard it. It's, it's huge. Uh, it is, that is one of the things that the Islamic Republic has known. I've senior clerics have talked about it. And that is the religious dictatorship breeds secularization. Uh, if Islam is about everything, then Islam is about nothing. Uh, and this has been a theme that in the more open and honest periods of the Islamic Republic, say in the 1990s, uh, the clergy and theologians spoke about it at some length. Um, now, 
The regime does have in the person of uh, Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader, I think he is the most talented Middle Eastern dictator of modern times. His only competition would be Hafez al-Assad in Syria. Uh, he's done remarkably well considering that uh, he is a poorly educated cleric with zero charisma, and yet he has effectively ruled over and handled uh, the most charisma-rich and cleric-heavy country in the Middle East. Uh, so I think one has to give credit where credit is due. It's striking the uh, somebody in the government recently released a video of when he was uh, chosen as the supreme leader. And to his credit, he honestly says, uh, I have no qualifications whatsoever. <laughs> so I think Khamenei was well aware. But that is why the late, great, you know, Ali Akbar Hashabi Rafsanjani chose him. Was because he had no qualifications whatsoever. Actually, he did have some qualifications. What, uh, he had already proven his willingness. What are his to kill what, people? What are his talents? Because you said he is the most talented. And he's a good student. I mean, he, he's made I, he's made a, a hobby out of studying the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, I think he understands uh, weaknesses and he knows how to try to avoid them. He knows how to kill them off as quickly as possible. He doesn't like making concessions. He will make concessions, but he, he doesn't like uh, doing that. Um, I mean, he's, he's a complex, contradictory uh, character. I think Barack Obama, uh, that was one of the few things where I think he got right in his assessment of Iran where he referred to the Supreme Leader as complicated. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's a very difficult, I think, terminal situation uh, for the regime. They, so far, they've been able to attract a sufficient number of young men who are willing to kill other Iranians. And that is absolutely critical. They have to have the muscle. Without the muscle, the whole system comes apart. Uh, now, whether they're able to maintain that muscle if they actually have demonstrations that don't go away and they have to hit people over and over again, we don't know. In 2009, 2010, the regime did things to children of the elite. And remember, the uh, Green Movement was led by, by members of the elite, particularly the children of the elite. Uh, they did things to those children that they'd never done before, including rape. Uh, so they had shock waves that went through the entire system. It worked. Mm -hmm. If you actually look at the death toll in Iran, in 2009, 2010, we don't have accurate figures, but it, it seems like somewhere between 150 and 700 people died, uh, and they, they collapsed the opposition. By Syrian standards, that's pathetic. All right? So the Iranian middle class, the college educated, uh, didn't prove themselves to be fairly resilient. Uh, however, the recent demonstrations would uh, tend to make you believe that, no, the, the, it's not going away. And now it is actually spread uh, outside of Tehran, and it seems to have spread amongst, uh, amongst those that are supposedly the base of the regime. Now, those people may not be as subject to intimidation. Uh, we don't know. I mean, this is an ongoing question of whether the regime has the capacity to knock this out. But I think, it's again, it's important to, to realize that the, the numbers here are, are challenging for the system. And the regime has always feared 
this spark that is something non-political will galvanize uh, anger and uh, to the to the system, uh, and before they know it, they've got uh, demonstrations of sufficient magnitude uh, to overwhelm their capacity to repress it. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, uh, but we could be. We could be approaching it. But I would just end by saying this: uh, there is no way the regime the regime couldn't possibly, you know, fill up. Uh, a small little uh, stadium uh, unless they drafted people to go there to listen to someone talk about the virtues of theocracy. <laughs> All right? It's impossible now. Uh, the opposite isn't true, that if they would allow uh, people to gather to talk about the problems of theocracy, they could fill the primary soccer stadium of Tehran and have to put it up, you know, televisions to ha handle the overflow. Uh, so the intellectual force uh, is totally on the other side. Um, so you know that that's that's a very bad indicator for the health, long-term, mid-term, or even short-term health for the regime. Now, I would assume that if you're if you're Dr. Labwani and you're listening to this, what you're what you're wondering, not to put words in your mouth, but what you're wondering is at what point does the legitimacy deficit inside Iran hamper Iran's ability to, uh, to aid Assad. I mean, it's, it's really quite striking. Two things are really quite striking. One, that this, this crisis inside Iran comes at the time of maximum success for the regime outside of, the, uh, outside of Iran. I mean, they've had, they've had a, under Barack Obama, they had a good run around uh, uh, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen, and so on. And the other thing is it's so striking to me to hear those protesters on the street saying no to Gaza, no to Syria, no to the IRGC, um, and, and, and so on. Is there, is, at, at, this po at this point, uh, Ruel, is this a, is, are they, is, is Khamenei saying, well, maybe we should pull back. Is that even crossing his mind, or is he? I mean, I, I, I well, I mean, we don't know yet. I, I suspect he'll go the other direction. He'll, he'll, he'll double down on uh, not show any weakness. Not show, any... not show any weakness. Not change the argument. I mean, they do have an existential problem, and that's uh, as the revolution has shifted from the college educated uh, uh, to the to the non college educated. Uh, the the revolution has had to seek out a, a new basis for foreign policy. It doesn't really the, the the Islamic Republic initially favored Sunnis. You might say it was very ecumenical in its approach overseas. It wanted to think of itself as a vanguard for all Muslims and their revolution against uh, Western imperialism. Uh, uh, the Sunnis they never ever forgot about the Sunnis. Uh, in, in their propaganda, there has been a noticeable, significant continental shift in the way the Islamic Republic sells their foreign policy abroad. It's very difficult to sell uh, a policy, an ecumenical foreign policy, where you have Sunnis killing Shiites throughout the entire region. Mm. Now, even though the Iran, the regime itself, is responsible for part of that uh, superheated sectarianism. 
uh, it still isn't exactly a winning pitch, which is in part, great part, why you've seen the regime shift to explicit uh, Shiite chauvinism and its justification uh, for its policies abroad. And it was also an assumption that it's harder for dissidents in the opposition to attack the regime if they're, after all, they're defending Shiites overseas. There was an assumption that the bond between Shiism and Iranian nationalism was sufficiently tight in Iran that it protected the regime from uh, criticism that they're just engaged in sort of wanton imperialism. Uh, these demonstrations the, and these chants, which are widespread throughout the country, suggest that that argument that they put forth is failing. Uh, so they do have a real existential problem on their hands that they, they can't make the Shiite argument, this Shiite chauvinism, Shiite fraternity, as a reason for why they're uh, in Iraq, in, in, in Syria, in Yemen, uh, and the way that they have been. So, Dr. Labwani, um, you, <clears throat> I wanted to bring it back to this question of Israel. And um, I, your, your idea about creating a safe zone in the South, uh, it requires, at the very least, Israeli acquiescence. But you really, I think it probably needs Israeli support. And you told us you've been to Israel four times. I thought it was two. It's four times. And you've talked to the, the, the defense minister and, and so on. Um, so in a sense, you're, you're suggesting an alliance between Syrian nationalism, Syrian populism, and Israel. And um, that's revolutionary. Uh, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about uh, what's the reception among Syrians when you, when, when you talk to them. Are they supportive of your idea? Do they shun you? Um, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Anything you wanted to talk about, about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, first, I have to, to uh, speak a little about Iran. Hmm. Now, <coughs> Iran in competition with time. As much as it behaved now by expanding its, its, if, its influence, as much it gained after. Hmm. So, it is uh, 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 now Iran begging, but after one year, Iran will take resources, very big resources, and use it to convince their people. So the time is critical now. We cannot fence, defense Iran without a coalition between who is loses, Arab, Israeli, and the West. So mm -hmm. without this coalition, how we can help the people who, who say no in Syria, no in how we can help them to to face the program of Iran. Program of Iran is series from the Gulf to uh, Red Sea to uh, Middle East to uh, Mediterranean Sea. So the corridor between Iran and Beirut, this is important. Which weak uh, ring is Syria? So if we, if we make a corridor from a tenth mm, east Jordan, right? Oh, there's so on the on the uh, border, on the Syrian on the Syrian-Jordanian border, Jordanian border, and through via the Iraqi-Syrian border till we reach Derizor. Derizor now is part from uh, democratic Syrian and part to ISIS and Iran and so. 
If we make this corridor, we cut Iran, we cut Iraq from Syria. We will uh, siege the Iranian influence in Syria right. and by south and east and the north with Turkey. So the, the, the slogan is block the land bridge, block so the land bridge. Okay, it is very easy and important to involve Arab League or Arab states to be partner. And this encourages the court to return, to make balance with Iran and with the coalition with Turkey. So we need to make a coalition between Arab and Kurd under supervisor of the uh, United States to make balance now and concentrate on Syria. This program is, if it fail, will make a, will make big problem to Iran inside. Mm. And after that, <coughs> we can help the Syria, the Iranian people, to create their uh, revolution. I mean, I have to say, I, um, I'm, 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 a, I'm a little skeptical, for the same reasons that Ruel mentioned, just because. I don't see. I, I'm not. I'm not opposed to it at all. I love your idea, but I, I notice when I talk to people in the military, there's not a lot of desire for this these days. After uh, all of our experience, the more you can um, present it as a not an you know not requiring direct American military activity, the better. But I have to say, in the current situation, if if the Iranian people saw Revolutionary Guard members coming under attack in Syria from such a coalition, I would think it would have a great impact inside Iran. I mean, they would, they would start to feel that there was a regional coalition that was supporting them in their aspirations. I mean, that would be my, that would be my hope, at least. Um, can you talk, though, a little bit about this, your relationship with Israel? Okay. Uh, and how it came about and, and, and how it has been received, and more importantly, I'm, I'm curious to know how it's received among your fellow Syrians and, and other Arabs that you talk to. Yeah, so it depends on the behavior of Israel. You know, it depends on the behavior of Israel. What, what depends if, on the behavior uh, of Israel? Everything. So Everything. they ask me, they ask me what you are represent. I am person, come to Israel. How much you need Syrian people like you and cooperate with you? How much? So I will give you the issues which you gain them. Syria now is blank paper. You can write what you want. Syrian people now need money, need the food, need security. They are in urgent needs. It is a chance to move, to give them you, you, I speak about good neighbors policy. Good neighbors policy by medical care, by medical, uh, by uh, food, by uh, guard them. It is change the mind of the people because nobody think uh, the regime, Syrian Arab uh, army, killed me, and the, the defense army of Israel helped me. So. It's time to change the people. Maybe they are not ready, but they are in urgent need. They are able to change. Maybe they are not good now, but we don't push them to be worse. We have to help them to be more. So this initiatives, humanitarian initiatives, uh, moral initiatives, is very important to come from but, Israel. Now, the Israelis have a program where they provide medical care to people who come across the border who have been wounded. 
limited. 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 Have you had, did you have anything to do with that? Yes. So I now in contact with most of the groups inside the South. Everybody asked me if he wanted to go to Israel. <laughs> Everybody don't mind to have support from Israel. So the, the situation... No, the, the people, the so people, the, 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 groups, fighters, the groups that you're in contact, these are opposition groups in the South. Able now. And they're, they're reaching out to you and saying, we want, to, we want to come to Israel and we want to... We want to, to if, if I became wounded, yeah. I have to treat in Israel. So and, they're, and, they're, and this has become completely legitimate. Yeah, yeah. So now I give Israeli contact with most of the leaders there, and they contact. And they know, not me, they know by themselves, there is ability now to make a safe zone inside Syria with cooperation. Not the same like of the south of Lebanon. No, it's mm. different. Because the local people will create their authority. And will be so. This would be village by village. The okay. local elders oh, in the village. The local, the yeah. local people, Druze or Sunni or or Dara or any anybody. Now it is suitable time to send this message that that stability with Israel is make stability with Syria, make peace with inside Syria because we suffer not not not, not from the uh, war between Syria and Israel. The, the war now. And the peace does not exist between Syrians. So oh. it is not the problem now with Israel. The problem by each other. So if they help us to jump this, because this situation continue because nobody wants to intervene. Nobody wants. Russia intervene, and Iranian intervene, and the people defeated. Nobody helps them. If they have help, who helps them now, he will be friend for a long time. Uh-huh. Jewish people don't forget who helped them mm. when the Holocaust. Don't forget that. <laughs> and Syrian people will never forget who helped them now. Now, because now they are in urgent needs, and it is shame on the humanity to let the people die in this way. So it is time to, to see the, the good face of Jewish people, of Israel. It's time to, to initiate. That's why I speak about it depends on Israel behavior. Mm. If Israel behavior, kill, each, uh, kill yourself. I don't mind. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? If we uh, say we don't need to help anybody. The alternative is Iran and the gangs, Iran, which make a coalition with terrorists, with Qaeda, is make a coalition with fanatic groups, so Iran, which prepare a, a mass destruction weapons, the program, nuclear program, is mutual between Syria and Iran. You know, Kobar reactor. Yeah. And now there is another one in Al Qasir, and I sent this. Uh, <laughs> that I didn't report, know. Yeah. This this report to the government here and the government in Israel, and now investigate. There is nuclear activity still inside Syria military nuclear activity, part of the Iranian. So Iran will become major power, will make a coalition with the Sunni, and Jordanian maybe collapse, and Israeli will find itself, it find itself seized by Iranian coalition with Sunni, and it is very dangerous, and they don't understand, if you don't help me, you have to fight all this, this, this people, I will stay in, 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 in Sweden, and you will send your soldiers. Now you have friends on land. 
Just I don't think we mentioned that Dr. Labwani is now lives in Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the problem now, I just want what, need somebody to think out the enmity of 1960. Or, it, everything changed. Now Syrian people now killed by Syrian, not by Israel. Mm. Israeli help him. So it is very important. I speak to the defense minister. Your medical uh, soldiers is more, more power than the aeroplane. Because this message, small message to the people, change the mind, change the culture. Change the, who treat them inside Israel will never show to you any, any time because you help give him the life. So it is time to, 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 to have the heart of the people by humanitarian issue. Humanitarian issue, it is very important. Humanitarian in, in, initiatives. And I uh, really thank Amalia and uh, Mr. Muti because he understands this and try and pay his money for this. Thank you. <laughs> so. Okay, well, uh, thank you. I think with that, um, let's, let's open it up to some questions in the, uh, in the audience. Yes, sir, over here. Uh, wait, uh, uh, oh, Ahad, I didn't, uh, I didn't recognize you. How are you? You know Ahad. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm a Syrian American and I have a question for Dr. Kamal. Uh, uh, we spoke a lot about the uh, uh, possible connection between the U.S.-backed rebels, which are the Syrian Democratic uh, Forces, the Kurds, and uh, Syrian rebels in the south and other part of Syria. Now we did not talk about the Turkish role. Now Turkey now, their border with Syria, either with the SDF or with Al-Qaeda uh, in Idlib. All the Turkish troops are not focusing on fighting Al-Qaeda or Al-Nusra Front, they're threatening to wage a war against like uh, U.S.-backed rebels, the, the yes. Kurds, which I would say it's the most successful project or example in the Middle East for the United States. You have like uh, people in that part of, of, of Syria welcoming American troops, uh, giving them flowers, and I mean like there are real coordination between military leader in that part of Syria and the the the, uh, the U.S. Uh, like officer or uh, the, the Pentagon. So how can we? do all of that and the president of Turkey that is playing a very bad role in, in, in putting more conflict in Syria. Yes. Thank because, you. because of that, we have not to let the Kurdish area alone. We have to be partner to them and to help them if Turkey want to fight everybody, okay. So if we, if we work together with them and expand this example to, to the south, Turkey will be despised, cannot do anything because the Syrian people support this. They want to, they have to, to fight the Syrian people, the Arab coalitions and the United States and they despaired. So we can invect Turkish itself by federal idea. If we give, bring a good example of federation in Syria, we will infect them by this idea because this idea is suitable also to Turkey, suitable to Lebanon, suitable to Syria because the area is very, very, uh, 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 mixed uh, nations and mixed religions and mixed it need it cannot we cannot create their topical uh, 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 nation states uh, depend on race or depend on, on nationality no we need multinational multicultural multi-religious states it need federal ideas so I think we can defeat them or we can prevent Turkey to do anything if we make this example to go to South Syria, and we have good allies uh, from Arab uh, people, 
and uh, Turkey will, will be surrender because, because the problem will maybe move to inside Turkey. So that's why I think if we let them alone, maybe Turkey continue. But if we help them, not only by the uh, army of, of United States, by the people Syria, people of, of Syria. So that is very important. And they have experience now. They can help us in South. And if United States accept, we will b bring the leaders there to teach the, the, the South how to teach the people in the South how they built their hostility. So I think we can do. If we have next step, we cannot withdraw. If we haven't anything, any bush, we will withdraw. So Let me ask uh, Ruel if he has anything to comment on that. Um, anything in general with regard to Turkey? I know you've spent a lot of time there. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to go wrong in Turkish politics if you promise to thump the Kurds. Mm. I mean, it, uh, it, it tends to unite people. Um, mm. you know, I mean, Turkey in a, is in a bit of a pickle now. Uh, they're in a rough situation because the Russians and the Iranians can outplay them with the Kurds. Uh, and on now they have the Americans who are, of course, you know, giving weaponry to the Kurds. And let us be frank, the Syrian Kurds and the, the distance between them and the PKK isn't a lot. So uh, it's, it, it's, it's a hard situation. I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical about federal situations rising well after a lot of bloodshed. Uh, it's possible, I suppose, in theory. Uh, I, if you look at European history, I think you go the other way. Uh, that the way you get peace is through lots of bloodshed and population transfer. Um, so I'm, count me skeptical about a successful Arab-Kurdish alliance in either Syria or Iraq, though I think it's, it's more likely in Syria than it, it is in Iraq. What about, uh, what about uh, President Erdogan's view of what's going on in, in Iran right now? How do you how do you imagine he's uh, assessing this uh, for, from from the point of view of his interests? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean, um, it's it's hard for me to imagine a situation where the Erdogan looks upon the Iranians as uh, as his allies. Uh, that would be a first in Turkish-Iranian history. I mean, the two dominant forces in the Middle East since the 10th century have been the Turks and the Iranians. Um, the Arabs are out of it, right? So uh, I, I don't see that competition diminishing. I think early on with Erdogan, there was this notion that the more Islamic they became, uh, the more fraternal they could become with the Iranians. Um, I, and part of that, no doubt, is, is, is true. Uh, and you could see that, for example, in the recent Zarab case in New York City, mm. uh, where they certainly conspired together to evade U.S. sanctions and reap tens of billions, if not hundreds I, of billions. I, I'm willing to guess that a lot of people in the audience don't know about the Zarab case. Oh, it's just a, it was a means, a method for uh, the uh, Turks and the Iranians to use the gold trade uh, to essentially walk around uh, U.S. sanctions on the movement of, of hard currency. Uh, and it was highly effective, and people made vast quantities of money. Uh, 
And by the way, the Obama administration was quite reluctant to actually follow up on it. Um, but uh, with that said, uh, I'm, I, I suspect the historical differences between the Turks and the Iranians, uh, their different conceptions of their roles in Islamic history, the Sunni Shiite angle, it's not going uh, to go away. This was true, uh, um, you know, before the arrival of secularism. Uh, it's, it, it remains uh, true today. I always remember fondly that uh, in, it was a different era when I was living in Turkey, and it was the Kamalists in power, of course. But, uh, you know, the, the Iranians had one plane that they would circulate all the time to Istanbul. It was the Istanbul-Tehran run, and the plane was named Kurdistan. Uh, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Turks had this had this cloth diaper that they would put up on the front of the plane to hide it. Uh, so every time it would roll in, the diaper would come up and cover the code uh, of the plane. Uh, I think that is an honest assessment of the real uh, Kurd or Turkish Iranian tension. Uh, and I think it's true uh, regardless of how secular or how Islamic you are. It's there, so I don't see them being uh, warm and cuddly, but whether they wish to work together against the United States now and then, <laughs> that I can certainly see. And, uh, yes, sir. Steve Winters, uh, independent consultant. Oh, I'd like to ask, uh, direct this to, to Rule. Uh, this is a follow-up on, on the comment you just made. Uh, right. If we go back into Iranian history, uh, back to 10th century, as you said, or even we want to go right back to Persian history, but, uh, you know, you have essentially a great power there, and now it seems to be regaining its great power status as along with other former great powers. Uh, so when you talk about the crack up, potential crack up of, of the theocracy, uh, and the, the effect that may have of uh, Iran, you know, drawing within or pulling back, uh, it may have absolutely no effect on that at all if you interpret what's going on as this rediscovery uh, of one's, you know, historic role in the world. So even if uh, you took the moderates and you, you changed the theocracy uh, quite a bit, they could still have the exact same expansive tendencies and desires and economic uh, potential. So really, your only hope for having them pulled back is a Libyan situation. In other words, not just a crack up of theocracy, but a crack up of the country. Uh, I, I, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see anything in the Iranian literature uh, on any quarter that would make me believe that Iranian nationalism is in an expansionist imperialist age. There is no ideological component uh, to that, and, and as the demonstrators themselves have revealed, uh, they really don't want uh, to have their money sent abroad. I think that element of uh, a modern Western culture, which has uh, seeped and permeated into into Iran quite profoundly, uh, uh, militates against uh, what you might call the, you know, the Achaemenid. You know the the ancient glories of Iran. I actually don't see that. I, I think it's I think it's true that uh, the Islam the Islamic regime has attempted to naturally marry uh, and intertwine uh, elements of Persian pride, which are profound, 
with its own Islamist uh, civilizing mission. Uh, I would call it a mission civilisatrice, but whenever I use French phrases, he gets very mad at me, so I'm not going to use the French. Uh, it's an insult. Uh, yeah, it is. He's, he's very patriotic. He's more patriotic than I am. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. So uh, I think the nationalist component of, uh, of Iran now is actually blending uh, in quite profoundly with an aspiration that has been underway for over 100 years, and that is democracy. In the, wait, can you wait for the uh, microphone? Hi, uh, again, Moti Khanna. Thank you, Kamal, for the shout-out. Uh, working with Kamal on the safe zone in Israeli-Syrian border in the last three years, question to you, Raul. You mentioned more, and especially being an Israeli-American and a Jew, it was very popular in the last 2,000 years to kind of anti the Jews or the Israelis in the last 70 years. Is the Iranian more shaken within Iran and the Israeli publicly supporting that? Do you see, and you mentioned there's more, they will double down the Republican Guard, is again working with Kamal on the safe zone. Do you see the Iranian approaching the Israeli border on the Golan Heights, as I saw two weeks ago, Bejan collapse, and some Sunni group start looking into towards partnering with the Iranian, similar to the Hamas in Gaza? Would you see the Iranian on the Israeli border in Kunetra anytime soon? There's more uh, pressure on the Iranian within Iran. Yeah, my, my, I mean, my guess is no, because they have other issues in Syria at stake. However, uh, the supreme leader and many senior members of the Guard Corps have Jews on the brain. I mean, it's just, just constant. Uh, um, and actually, one of the uh, a healthier... Uh, you know, observations you can make now is that because the regime has had Jews on the brain for so long that the opposition uh, to theocracy uh, is moving the Iranians, it seems, in the other direction, that they really don't care all that much about the Israelis and, and, and Jews in general, which is great. I mean, you, you, that's, a healthy, that's a healthy evolution. Uh, I mean, I think the regime's anti-Israeli uh, mission is part of their identity. So uh, I think they are serious uh, in their intent to be a frontline state, particularly if they can make uh, Shiite Arabs uh, bleed in that cause. Um, I mean, they'll fight. They'll fight Israel to the to the last. Yes, days. yes. I think they're they're quite they're quite prepared to go down there. There are, now there are limitations on that. The uh, the re Iranian regime. Is, is, is rational, they're not stupid, uh, in the sense that they do recognize uh, Israeli firepower. So there is a balancing act here, but they're constantly, I think, will test to see uh, what they can get away with. And I think on an emotional level, which is very, very important, you know, when Israelis bleed, when Israelis die, it makes them feel good. What about um, you? You mentioned that the opposition in in Iran is now saying, you know, no to Gaza, and and, and we you know we don't need to fight Israel. If you had to guess, 
we're talking about the 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 public opinion generally speaking in 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 iran does the average iranian if there is such a thing think that israel is its enemy i mean i mean what you got the opposition you got the regime and you have everybody else in the middle the people in the middle when they hear these things what are they thinking i mean that's a good question i mean it's it's very difficult to assess from a distance uh how anti-semitism has uh permeated uh into society and has changed the way people view uh jews and israelis um you know uh I mean, anti-Semitism has become a common denominator of the entire Muslim Middle East, but how effective it is, how yeah. fierce it is, how brutal it is, is, is difficult to gauge. My, my gut feeling uh, in Iran is that most Iranians really don't care much about Israel, uh, and that it just isn't an issue that has any centripetal importance for them. Uh, and because the regime they dislike, if not loathe, uses it all the time uh, to justify uh, their actions, to uh, it uses it as an integral part of their conception of who they are in the Middle East, then that means that the, I think the, the average Iranian go, goes in the other direction. They can't get it. They need it in part because of Hezbollah, because... The, the the conflict with the Jews is the ladder that Hezbollah climbs to become an, an Arab nationalist rather than than just a Shiite. Yeah. Yeah. In, in order in order not in order not to tell people what it really is, which is a, a, a revolutionary guard, light infantry division in Lebanon there to protect Iranian interests, it has to present itself as anti-Israel. So yeah. the so the with regard to with regard to Iran's alliance with Hezbollah, they're kind of locked into the anti-Zionist. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, if I had to bet if the Islamic Republic were to go down, uh, you would see a very loud, open uh, opening of the American embassy in Tehran. Uh, and then you'd have lots of, you know, questions and indigestion and probably a quiet opening of the Israeli embassy. Mm. Well, interesting. Dr. Lebanon, do you have anything you want to add to this? I think uh, Iran uh, now, uh, the people of Iran, like the people of Syria, because who uh, make pressure, who stole their money, is the government, not Israelis. So they make Israeli to cover the, also against the Zionists, but attacking Halab, against Israeli, but to seeking for Mecca. Mm. So they announce Al-Qudus and go to Baghdad and Mecca. So that is big lie. This big lie now start to broken. Syrian people and Iranian people is the same because they are against their governments. Their governments is access of resistance and all this ideology start to uh, fall in because the uh, criminals which committed in Syria, in Syria, it is very very touch the the people heart. So that is makes the, the uh, Iranian people sense our suffering from their soldiers and start to think in the same way we start to think. As I go to Israeli and jump all this enmity, they are able to do that if they have uh, a, a chance to do. You never, when you went to Israel, you never feared for your life. 
with respect to other Arabs and Muslims that they would identify you as a traitor and uh, just the nationalists who is still alive and they speak without working and the fanatics uh, which also uh, cannot do anything I have a lot of support from the people, the simple people, lot of support. This is the way to find solution. So I don't feel any risk in Jordan or also in Syria. Walking along the streets. Yeah, you yeah. Uh, and your people recognize yeah, you. Yeah, and streets, my, right? my sister stay in Jordan and Jordan, Palestine. And uh, her children go to the university. All the most majority of the students is go negotiation about Israel. I think I can break the ice. Mm. So and the people is accept because they suffer a lot from this conflict, and this conflict give nothing, give nothing till now. Nothing to Palestinian, nothing to Jordanian, nothing to Syrian, nothing, nothing, nothing. And every time we have to use violent or make war with it, we will lose more. So <laughs> that's good. Think, no, we need to cooperate with Israel to create a new future, new minds. The minds depend on war and depend on the, the uh, between uh, religions and between Jewish and, and or, or Christianity and Islam. It is ideas of war give nothing. So a new modern style of living is very very strong, mm. very strong inside Iran and inside and change the minds. All the gener new generation give take their culture not from their family from the internet. So <laughs> you know that now uh, we are, uh, there is revolution in the in, in, in Middle, in Middle East because internet, not because of the, the, the situation same since 40 years. But why we now have this brain, this is brain of internet, Facebook and <laughs> social media and Wikipedia and so that is. I think there is a new chance to change all the mentality historical mentality. Now Turkey with Iran jump all the uh, history of uh, conflict between Safawi and Osmani and, and try to make deal with them. Mm. So don't depend totally on the old mind. Old mind is died. <laughs> okay. Look who's here. Scott Lisinski. <laughs> No, you're, you, we have two. Scott, your question is the last one. Make it good. Make it, make it count. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Paul Johnson, and you might say I'm a Persianist for the last 50 years. I specialize in Persian language and literature. And the last time I was in Iran, or when I was in Iran in the 70s, I would go to Mashhad, and I would go to the border of Afghanistan and Iran, and I would be greeted by a contingent of very nice U.S. Army RA troops. Remember U.S. RA? You're that old? Um, and they would be guarding the border because we had and we still have a drug problem with hashish in Afghanistan. Now, when I go there, I'm greeted by very nice U.S. Marines on the Afghani side and very nice uh, 
regular army Iranian troops stopping the trade of hashish from Afghanistan to Iran. And some of the hashish we have found, I've been told, has the, uh, you might say, uh, DNA of Afghani hashish. When we go south to a very nice town called... Sorry, I'm, uh, uh, but, we're, but we're at, at 430, so if you could just ask a question, I'd appreciate it, because we're really at the closing... All right, moment. fine, but we have American troops in Iran right now, in Zahedan. We have C-35s at the airport in Zahedan. I don't think too many people talk about this. This is what is going on with Iran right now. You can go to the... I'm looking for a question. Line. Would you please talk about this? If okay. you can. Thank you. We're going to have a post-conversation uh, uh, question. Yeah. We're, we're, um, we're at the closing here. I'm sorry, you gave, up, a question. Your, you gave yes. up your question, I gave Scott. Uh, okay, quick. What, quick one, yeah. Laser-like. Let it be laser-like. Laser-like. Uh, Scott Lasensky, thanks. And I met with Kamal in Israel. Uh, it's good to see you back. Why does the Trump administration, given all that we know, um, which is a lot about Iranian involvement in Syria, why don't we reveal a lot? And Kamal, did it come up in Israel? Why don't, why don't the Israelis reveal what we know about Iran, given everything Ruel said about the chants on the streets in Iran? If we in this age of information warfare, reveal, reveal the war, reveal the extent, who, the flights, the people on the ground, the finances. We know a lot, and for obvious reasons, we don't reveal a lot, but in this age of information warfare and with Iranians upset about investments elsewhere, would it help if we lifted the veil and raised the curtain on what we know about what Iran does in Syria? Okay, we've got to be very, very brief. Would it help in Syria if the United States released more information? used its intelligence to shame the regime. The people know it's, it's uh, shame the regime and show what the Iranians are doing and so on. Would that help? Yeah, of course. Of course, if they uh, just help us to, 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 uh, to go to media, we have a lot of files, humanitarian files, to, 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 to make everybody believe that this, this regime is cooperate with with Al-Qaeda cooperate with ISIS and commit crimes, criminal crimes and commit. We have a lot of things we can convince any court, any international society, any anybody that is, this regime is not good, is not But everybody now don't listen, don't need to, to work. Israeli also, I ask them personally, please go to media and say there is a criminal man in Syria. But justice, that would make everybody like Netanyahu in Syria. So <laughs> I think, why they don't they speak? Why they don't do more? Why? Because the politicians thinking not about the nation benefits, about their benefits. There is a big problem with all the politicians in all the world. This is my impression. There is a big problem with the politicians everywhere, in Israel and outside. There is big. They are not honest to their benefits, to the state's benefits. There is big problem. I don't. I think democracy must improve. Must make something. The democracy now is suffering. It became old. 
We, it needs something new to, 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 to have the, to, to make this authority more honest and more clear and more active and think for long time, not think for new elections. I, I think this kind of democracy now became old and it has to, to improve. And so the problem inside the system of Israel, inside the system of not also in Arab states, no, in Israeli, there is a problem. And in the United States, there is a problem. I don't know exactly what, but I think the democracy itself now is not very good. It is start to be not suitable to the uh, development of living or I don't know. So, well, I don't think it'd make any difference at all. Really? None. I was not expecting that answer. No, I don't think. I mean, I think the real issue is the United States is tired of the Middle East. And that isn't a, you can throw all the information that you want, and I don't think it fundamentally changes that, uh, that sentiment. And certainly shame doesn't matter. I mean, you can't shame a hooker. So, um, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see that fundamentally changing until something happens on the ground uh, that wakes the United States up and says, uh-oh. I need to come back in here, and I need to come back in with some force. Uh, I don't. I don't see this equation changing. All right. Well, um, uh, with that, um, uh, let's uh, bring it to an end. And uh, please join me in uh, in thanking uh, Ruel Garet and uh, and Dr. Labwani for what was a very very interesting and enlightening. Conversation. Thank you.